land and also shows toward the end of the chapter how God is going to restore some things. First of all, 10% of the church to finish the end time work. And then after all the horror is done, a little less than 10% of Israel will return to rebuild during the millennium. So two restorals being talked of there essentially. Now let's get down to chapter 12 of Ezekiel. Uh, God continued to speak with Ezekiel, brought him another message. The word of the Eternal came to me, saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house. So we need to understand that any time we go through the prophecies of God about the end time, we'll essentially be speaking to rebellious people. That's the way it always has been uh, throughout history. Uh, always a few who did not rebel, but the majority did. So he says, it's a rebellious house, which do have eyes to see, but they don't see. They have ears to hear, but they don't hear, for they are a rebellious house. Now, once you have the spirit of rebellion or going against, it simply shuts your ears and your eyes to what is real because you can no longer, you're looking at it through the wrong prism. When you have a spirit and a mind of rebellion, then everything you see is through those eyes, and it distorts it. You've been in the house of mirrors, I presume, sometime, somewhere, uh, where they had all kinds of mirrors that were wavy and distorted and made you look really, really funny. And uh, when we have a spirit of rebellion, it really messes everything in our view up. So when we look at this nation, when we look at the church of God, we have people who are essentially rebellious against God because they are not listening to what God has to say. Even though they think they're hearing, they think they're listening, they think they're seeing, they're not. Therefore, you son of man, prepare you stuff for removing or leaving, and remove by day in their sight or leave. So, he says, they're not seeing what I want them to see. They're not hearing what I want them to hear. They've got such a spirit of rebellion. He said, I want you to do something in their sight that might give them a chance to see the truth. Now, we'll see exactly what God is doing here in a little bit. It sounds strange when you first read it until you get the explanation further down. So he says, pack up as if you're leaving and remove from your place to another place in their sight. So where he was living, he was supposed to pick up what he could carry and move to another place. It may be they will consider, though they be, a rebellious house. Now, here was a prophet of God who was getting up and moving from where he was. And God says, even though they're rebellious, this might get a message of some kind across to them. Well, let's read on and see. 
You shall, verse 4, bring forth your stuff by day in their sight as stuff for removing, and you shall go forth at even. So he was to pack up in daylight, and then at evening he was to leave, as though as they that go forth into captivity. Now there's the first hint of what we're talking about. Uh, in the daylight, maybe you can see, maybe you can tell what you're doing. Uh, the light is shining on you. You think you're doing okay when the sun is up. Everything seems to be okay. But then darkness comes. So he was to leave as darkness came because it was to depict how they were and that they were going from what they thought was light into darkness, even as he was leaving and going into darkness. So he says, Dig you through the wall in their sight and carry out thereby. Now we're going to talk more about a wall here in a little bit. And it uh, fits very well with what's happening right now in our country. So he was in the wall of the city, and he was to dig a hole in the wall to go through and carry out thereby. He wasn't to use the gate where people normally go in and out through the gate. It's easy to do, uh, not troublesome. But if you need to get out and you have to dig a hole in the wall, uh, that requires quite a bit more difficulty, quite a bit more work. It isn't normal. This isn't the way people normally come and go is through the wall. Here's one right behind me here. I don't normally come and go through it. It's pretty hard. I use the door. I hope that illustrated it. Hard on my elbow, but maybe I got the point across. So what they were going to be doing would be difficult. Okay, that's the point here. We'll see in a moment. In their sight, again, they're supposed to see this. Shall you bear it upon your shoulders and carry it forth in the twilight? So he wasn't going to get a U-Haul van and take everything he owned. He was to what he could carry on his back here. You shall cover your face that you see not the ground. Now, if your face is covered, you're blindfolded, you can't see the ground, that makes life even more difficult. You stumble around, you don't know where you're going, you can't see your way. So he's already said these are people who don't hear and they don't see. They're rebellious. So he says, go out in the dark where you can't see and blindfold yourself so you can't see the ground even and see how well you do. So the message to those people around him was, you don't know where you're going, you can't see, you're in trouble. He's, he's acting out, like on a stage, what had been said in verse 2. You don't see and you don't hear because you're rebellious. Then he says, For I have set you for a sign to the house of Israel. So just like when he laid on his side for 430 days as a sign to them, uh, he was to do this as another sign. You remember Isaiah walked around bare butt naked for a long time as a sign to Israel that they would go into captivity with their hands on their heads, a harmless pose, and bare naked, 
as they went into captivity. So God used the prophets back then to enact or to act out some of these things as a sign for the people so that they might get it through their thick rebellious skulls uh, what was going on. But that's okay, they stoned them anyway. So you're not to be able to see where you're going, just like they will. And I did so as I was commanded. I brought forth my stuff by day as stuff for captivity. See, you're not taking everything along. When you go into captivity, if you get to take anything, you're lucky. Uh, whatever you might can carry on your back or in your hand or on your head is all you take when you go into captivity. So he's depicting that as if he were going into captivity. And in the evening, I digged through the wall with my hand. I brought it forth in the twilight, it was getting dark, and I bear it upon my shoulder in their sight. So I had a few belongings, I made a hole in the wall, it was getting dark, and I'm blindfolded. So he's saying, this is the way you are, folks. And in the morning came the word of the eternal to me, say. So he spent the night out wherever he had gone, and God's word came, son of man... Has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, house said to you, what are you doing? <laughs> now, if you go out blindfolded and have dug a hole in the wall and you have this little packet on your back, uh, people are going to say, what are you doing? That looks weird. That's what they asked. Say you to them. So he says, when they ask, you're assigned to them. And they ask, here's what you tell them. Thus says the eternal God, this burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all of the house of Israel that are among them. So he says, this is a message to the leaders and to the people. Both. Say, here's your sign, as the comedian says. Or no, he says, say, I am your sign. Here's the sign. Pay attention now. Like as I have done, so shall it be done to them, the leaders and the people. They shall remove and go into captivity. So he gives you the whole plot right here of why he was going through this. To try to get a message across that was not being verbally received. And the prince that is among them shall bear upon his shoulder in the twilight and shall go forth. They shall dig through the wall to carry out thereby. He shall cover his face that he seen off the ground with his eyes. So he said, when the prince goes into captivity, it's going to be in the same way that he had just depicted he won't see where he's going. He will not, what, will not know what's happening. But it's going to happen anyway. My net also will I spread upon him, and he shall be taken in my snare. So God says, this is of me. I am the one that's sending your leaders and your people into captivity. And I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, Yet shall he not see it, though he shall die there. So here is a leader who is unaware of really what is going on and goes into captivity 
and is going to die there, but does not grasp what's happening. I think we have some leaders in Washington, D.C. today who are not aware of what is really going on and what is going to occur. Uh, some of them even think that we're going to make America great again, the leaders and the people. Well, I'm not a politician. I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. I'm here as an ambassador for Christ. So politics has nothing to do with what I say. Okay? They're not going to make America great. That doesn't mean I'm against Trump. doesn't mean I'm against the patriots. Uh, neither could the other side make America great or save it in any way. So it doesn't matter who's in charge there. None of them are obeying God. That's the whole point. Nobody in this nation is following God except those few who've learned his truth. So they don't really know what's going on. And he shall die there. Uh, interestingly, this is the fast regarding the assassination of Gedaliah, who was put in charge by Nebuchadnezzar when Israel was taken into captivity, and uh, people came and assassinated him. So he died, and this day commemorates to us, as Zechariah tells us, not just an ancient prophecy, but an end-time prophecy, and Zechariah says that we are to be keeping these fasts. And this is the fast of the seventh month today. So uh, it was a mournful time when a man who was a pretty decent leader in Israel died, and God has said, uh, keep this day as a memorial of the death of the leader of Israel. Now we have another one here that says that the leader of the land, or some says prince, it doesn't say king, don't know for sure exactly which leader this is, but uh, he will die. If you go to Isaiah 7, there's that prophecy where it says within 65 years, uh, Ephraim will not be a nation anymore, and it says it will be forsaken of both her kings. So apparently two leaders uh, bite the dust there in that prophecy in Isaiah 7, which is also due, I think, to be completed before 2017-18 is over, depending on whether you look at God's calendar or man's calendar or what. Uh, and here we have another indication that uh, some leader is going to die. And I will scatter toward every wind all that are about him to help him and all his bands, and I will draw out the sword after them. So the leader will die, and all those who were his allies, his employees, his government will die and all his bands, that would mean the military, is going to be destroyed, and draw the sword after them. And they shall know that I am the Eternal, when I shall scatter them among the nations and disperse them in the countries. Does that sound like America is going to be made great again? Not to me. <laughs> in the millennium, when the Father and the Son are here ruling and Satan is bound, but not until then, because this is all coming soon. But I will leave a few men of them from the sword, from the famine, and from the pestilence. We know from Ezekiel 5 that it's uh, about 10%. A third, a third, and a third will die of these 
three things that he keeps bringing up, sword, famine, and pestilence, and captivity, and a sword after them, as he says in 5. That they may declare all their abominations among the heathen where they come. So, they may have worldly sorrow. There may be even some repentance when they find themselves in captivity and they begin to recount their abominations. And they shall know that I am the Lord. Moreover, the word of the eternal came to me say, well, now that's just up to there, verse 16, 1 through 16, shows a horrible destruction uh, of this nation. And it is imminent. Uh, these prophecies of, of death uh, of the leaders are an end-time prophecy. That one in Isaiah 7 uh, most certainly is. And this is as well. So in verse 17 he says, Moreover, the word of the eternal came to me, saying, and here's another message, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking, and drink your water with trembling and with carefulness. Now he's just said there's going to be famine and sword and the pestilence, and it's going to be hard then to find food during famine and the disease that follows. Uh, so he says, drink your bread with the understanding that the nation's food is going to go away. And drink your water with trembling and with carefulness. Don't spill it because you won't get much. And say to the people of the land, Thus says the eternal God of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and of the land of Israel, They shall eat their bread with carefulness and drink their water with astonishment, that her land may be desolate from all that is therein because of the violence of all them that dwell therein. Now notice it isn't just violence from without. It's talking about violence from them that are within. So here we're talking about riots, civil unrest, and civil war, where people are killing each other within the land. And you have people on the Internet now who are saying you'd better get your beans, bullets, and band-aids because trouble's coming, or however they term it. Stock up on food and water and ammunition and, and medicine. Pharma, you know, the pharmacies are going to be gone. You can't go get your meds anymore. You're going to go off cold turkey. That's it. Boom. Won't be anything. Look at the stores in Houston and uh, Florida and now in Puerto Rico where they, even the shelves in a lot of places are gone. Not, not just empty, but the shelves are gone too. It's coming. It's here. It'll just get worse. And the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste. Why did God tell us to get out of the cities and come dwell in the wilderness? And the land shall be desolate and you shall know that I am the Eternal. And then the word of the Eternal came again saying, Son of man, what is that proverb that you have in the land of Israel saying, the days are prolonged and every vision fails. We keep hearing these sundowners all the time. They're going to talk about how our nation's going down and how we're having financial trouble and all this, and that's ridiculous. Even one of the greatest investors in America, billionaire Warren Buffett, said the other day, anybody that says America's in trouble is crazy. 
Those aren't his exact words, but that's pretty close. Now, he ought to know better, as high as he is in the world of finance, and one of the richest men on earth. But he says, hey, everything's okay. Don't worry about it. We're not, we're not in trouble as a country. Is that said in our land? <laughs> well, there's one quote. Uh, there are a lot of people who think everything's just fine. They're going about their jobs and their televisions and their movies and their iPhones and pads and everything's just, you know, we're hunky-dory. We'll, we'll be all right. We'll raise minimum wage and we'll be fine. Or whatever. And all these sundowners and all these people that are saying the end is here are crazy. They're all chicken littles. Tell them, therefore. All right, what does God say to all these people who think everything is going to be just fine? We're going to make America great again. Well, I, I wonder sometimes how much Donald Trump even believes that today. You know, sometimes you say you're going to drain the swamp, and when you get up to your behind in alligators, you kind of forget what your original purpose was. Uh, but that's kind of where he is now. But that was the mantra. That was what everybody thought. Well, not everybody, but those that decided to think that, roughly half. America's going to be great again. The days are prolonged. Every vision fails. You don't have anything to worry about. We're going to be great again. Well, we're still great. We're grating on the nerves of the whole world. So here's what God says to tell them. I will make this proverb to cease. They will quit saying that. Warren Buffett's going to have to eat those words. And they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, the days are at hand, and the effect of every vision. So what we're reading here, again, is an ancient prophecy. Just this week, one of our leading billionaires said, everything's fine, don't worry about it. And our government tells us the same, we're going to be great again, don't worry about it. Is this current events or not? You know? Say to them, the days are at hand. So when they're saying this, that means that God is saying the days are at hand. It's here. I think we're going to see some more language a little later on today that uh, kind of relate to some of the things that have been happening the last two or three weeks. And the effect of every vision. God says all the visions that I gave Ezekiel, now they're going to come to pass. And to Jeremiah, and to Isaiah, and to the others. For there shall be no more any vain vision nor flattering divination within the house of Israel. All of the th things that they say about everything's going to be all right, he says, they're not going to say that anymore. <laughs> they're getting over that. How many more hurricanes, how many earthquakes will it take? They just had a big one off the coast of Northern California yesterday. It was only 5.2, I think, or something like that. Not a huge, and it was offshore. But is it a warning shot that the whole area is unstable right now? Pretty soon, there will be no more vain visions about everything being just fine. For I am the Eternal. 
I will speak, and the word that I shall speak shall come to pass. And he says, it shall be no more prolonged. I think we've had our 430 years of our attempt at freedom and liberty and happiness and well-being. It's done now. For in your days, O rebellious house, will I say the word, and that's within the days of the church of God, and most people are getting old who were in the church originally. Uh, you go through any of the splinters or branches of the church of God today, and you see more canes and walkers than you do little children running around. So it's, and he says that this generation, here at the end, that was given the truth, will not pass before this all comes to pass. So it's got to be very, very soon now. No more prolonged. For in your days, O rebellious house, will I say the word and will perform it, says the eternal God. Again, the word of the eternal came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, or look, see, watch, they of the house of Israel say, the vision that he sees is for many days to come, and he prophesies of the times that are far off. So they will say, well, you know, he could be right, and God's judgment may come, but that's still a long ways away. You know, we don't have to worry about that. Just eat, drink, and be merry. It's, it, everything's fine. Do you believe that? Therefore say to them, Thus says the eternal God, There shall none of my words be prolonged any more. The time has arrived. Now has it? I believe it has. Let's watch. I don't think you have long to wait because it's already started and it's going to get worse. But the word which I have spoken shall be done, says the eternal God. Now, in chapter 13, he continues, and he uses some more uh, metaphors, which tell us a story. The word of the Eternal came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy. So here he gets on the religious leaders as well. And this could be church, and it can be the world at large. And it is a message to both, because all these prophecies essentially are. Say to them that prophesy out of their own hearts, Hear you the word of the Eternal. Listen to what God has to say, not what you blathering idiots have dreamed up. Thus says the Eternal God, Woe to the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. So people are going to imagine things. They're going to come up with things that aren't real. Ideas and thoughts things that they'll preach that say everything's fine. Well, what are the mega-evangelistic programs saying now? Love Jesus. The commandments are done away. We're going to all be secretly ruptured, and everything will be raptured, excuse me, and everything will be fine. That's the message you're getting. No. It's not going to be that way. O Israel, your prophets are like the foxes in the desert. Now, what does that mean? Your prophets are like the foxes in the desert. How many of you have seen a fox in the desert? Probably nobody. I've seen two or three, mostly at night. 
and shot a few here and there, but they weren't in the desert. A fox in the desert is not near somebody's hen house. A fox in the desert's out there all by himself. There isn't much to eat, and he has to become very crafty and very conniving and very careful in his hunting, or he will starve to death. He has to be aware. And he will eat anything he can find that he can catch. Well, that's the way the prophets are. You've already seen that they are foolish and that they're going by their own imagination and their own thoughts and by their own means apart from God. Well, that's what a fox apart from the hen house is. Trying to find his way. You have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the eternal. So he says the prophets are not giving you a true message of what is coming and the way things really are. Isn't it kind of a cop-out to say, look, people, I've got thousands of you here in my huge place here in Houston that the poor can't come in, but I have you here. And trouble is going to come eventually, but we're all going to rise and meet Jesus and everything will be fine. Does that sound like what we're reading? It doesn't look like it to me at all. So they're telling them a falseness. They are not letting people know what's really going on. They're telling them, hey, you're going to be raptured. You're going to get out of this. Everything's going to be fine. You hear it in the church, too. We're the Philadelphians. All those others are going to go into tribulation, but we're going to a nice place of safety. Everything's going to be just fine if you're here with me. Not so. God makes those judgments. He says, pray you be accounted worthy to escape. Just because you're in this group or that group doesn't mean you have it made. Do I tell you if you're here, you have it made? I, I don't think that's a message you're getting. I'm telling you, repent, overcome, grow, pray, and hope that God will preserve you. It doesn't matter where you are. What's going on in your head and your hands is what counts. So they haven't given them what they need to stand when the battle is on. Who can stand when he appears? Remember Malachi? Who can stand when he appeareth? Only those who have been prepared. Let's go back there for a minute. I think that's a good message to throw in right here. (coughs) Malachi. I hope I don't strain my voice too much today. The glass of water isn't here. Let's see. Chapter 2, after he jumps on the prophets, which we're just reading about here in Ezekiel, uh, he says those who turn to God... Oh, let's see. I'm, I'm, I want three. 16. They that feared the eternal spoke often one to another... And the eternal hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the eternal and thought upon his name. Now, didn't we just go over that in Ezekiel as well, where he says he's going to put a seal of protection upon those when all of this hits? 
says the same thing here. Those that fear God, who serve Him, uh, he'll, he'll write them down, a book of remembrance. They'll be His when He makes up His jewels, verse 17. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves him not. So that's what going through, as the man with the writer's inkhorn did, was make a difference between those who would be preserved and those who would not, or those who serve God and those who would not. Malachi puts it a little bit differently. Now, where is that one I'm looking for here? Where it says, who will stand when he appeareth? Is it back a chapter? 3-2. Three, 3-2? Two. Three, two? Okay. Well, that's where I started out. I thought that's where it was, and then I got sidetracked. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. So that has to happen before Christ comes. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Did we just read that? In Ezekiel how he appeared before Ezekiel with his portable throne uh, in glory. And then we read in Zechariah 2 how he will come and dwell among us. He'll suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, says the Eternal of hosts. So he's going to come to the church. Then he's also going to come in his glory at the first resurrection. So it's, it, it could be speaking of both events here. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Now, when he, when he appears to the church, like he did with Ezekiel, who will be able to stand? When he appears at the first resurrection, who will be able to stand? Uh, he'll purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the eternal an offering in righteousness, <clears throat> and so on. And he's not, he's not talking about the millennium here, actually, yet. He's still talking about end-time events. even says down in chapter 4, For behold, the day comes and shall burn as an oven, and all the proud and so on will be destroyed, and Christ will come with healing in his wings. That will be the time when Christ actually returns to stay. Well, not to stay, but to marry his bride and go back uh, for the honeymoon and then come to stay when the new heavens and new earth come down. Anyway, we don't have time to explain everything over again. <clears throat> so let's go back to Ezekiel. Uh, Where was that? Who, who will be able to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord? Now, verse 6. They have seen vanity and lying divination, saying, The Eternal says, and the Eternal has not sent them. So, they're sending a message saying, This is what we need to do. This is what we need to believe. But God hasn't sent them. God hasn't sent those who took over the splinters of the church of God. They are not giving the message uh, that these prophets are giving. You're not hearing it there. Nearly every one of them saying, we're Philadelphia and the rest of them are Laodiceans. They all say the same thing. 
we're going to be safe and everybody else is in trouble. No, we're all in trouble if we don't serve God. We've got to repent of having been Laodicean or being Laodicean. Everybody went there. Not everybody but me, as people like to say. So they don't. They have a distorted picture. They have ears to hear, eyes to see. They understand a certain amount of the truth of God, but they don't see what's going on. They don't understand where, when, what, who, when, and how all of this will come down. They still think it's in the Middle East. They still think it's their little group. They still think it's some of them a long ways off. They just don't get it. It's distorted. Yeah, they still keep the Sabbath and the feast. Is that going to prepare you to stand when this comes? I went to the feast, Lord. Well, why are you still lying and cheating and thieving? Just, have you not seen a vain thing? But God says, this is the way it's going to be. Therefore, thus says the eternal God, verse 8, because you have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore, behold, I am against you, says the Eternal. Now, why did God spew the church out? So that we might turn to Him with fervency and with all our heart. So what did people do? They turned to the memory of Herbert Armstrong. Idol worship. They're not worshiping God. A lot of them are worshiping Herbert Armstrong. That's all they talk about, some of them. And they're trying to recreate what Worldwide Church of God was. Nearly all of them. Because they think that's the way things ought to be. Well, if that's the way things ought to be, why did God go and spew them all out? Pray tell. Rebuilding that isn't going to get it. Being what I was, or you being what you were in Worldwide Church of God, doesn't get it. That got us spewed. We've got to be more fervent. We've got to be more committed, more convicted than ever we were. God wants our hearts, not just our words. He wants our hearts. Wholehearted. Yeah, they spoke in vanity and seen lies. Most of what is being preached to what is left of the church of God today is false vision, false view, and some of it outright lies. Because they don't understand what this book says. And God says, I am against you. God think, they think God's all for them. Nearly every one of them, nearly every group thinks we're going to the place of safety because God's eye is on us because we're the Philadelphians. It's you other people that are the problem. Therefore, the problem never gets solved. Got to take it personal, people. We've got to take it personal. And God says he is against those who are in that attitude. I don't want God against me. I want to do what I'm supposed to be doing. Verse 9, And mine hand shall be upon the prophets. That means grabbing them by the neck when he says my hand will be upon them. That doesn't mean he's patting their head. 
It means he grabs them by the nap of the neck. Of the prophets that see vanity and the divine lies. They're, they're just dreaming it up. There's one that's been putting an article, I mean a, a full or two-page spread in the journal, I guess every issue for the last 20, 30 years now. Still proclaiming that Herbert Armstrong's the Elijah. That's in his imagination. Why didn't he read the scripture and say that the gospel hasn't gone around the world as a witness, therefore the end would have come? How many decades do you go after the man dies and still hasn't happened that you begin to say, wait a minute, maybe I better read that again. What does it say? Who are going to proclaim the message around the world as a witness and then the end come? The two witnesses. And you know what's going to happen at the end of their 1260 days? They're going to die in the streets of the true Jerusalem. Did Herbert and Ted Armstrong die in the streets of Jerusalem? Any Jerusalem? No. Did Christ return when they died? No. They died years apart. Think. You know? Think. Read the Scripture for what it says and believe it. They weren't the two witnesses. They may have been a, a minor type of them. But they didn't preach the gospel around the world and die and then the resurrection occur. It didn't happen. But this is being put in the pages of the journal. Every issue and has been for decades now, I think, probably. I don't know that for sure, but it probably goes back at least 20 years, if not further. It's a lie. It isn't true. It doesn't fit Scripture whatsoever. My hand will be upon the prophets that see vanity and the divine are come up with lies, untruths. They shall not be in the assembly of my people. They're not going to be there when I assemble my people. Neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel. They will not be sealed. They will go into the tribulation and die there. Neither shall they enter into the land of Israel. Right here. We are in Ephraim. In the original promised land, we are in the edge of. Right here. They will not be allowed there. And you shall know that I am the eternal God. Because, okay, here's another reason. Even because they have seduced my people, saying, peace, and there was no peace. Now, what have I been saying here today? They keep saying, you're going to have peace as long as you're with me. As long as you're in this group, everything will be fine, and we'll still go to Petra. It's a lie. It isn't going to happen. You go through the Bible and find how many places it says Peter is a place of safety. It isn't there. Look up Zion. Go through that. See how often it says Zion's a place of refuge and where people will go and be saved and delivered. Not Petra. That was a Protestant idea that Herbert Armstrong copped up on. They've seduced my people, saying, Peace, and there was no peace. 
And one built up a wall, and lo, others daubed it with untempered mortar. Somebody's going to build a wall. <laughs> you heard anything about that in the news over the last year, two or three? Going to build a wall. Now, this may be speaking mostly to the prophets, but they also are going to come up with this idea that they're going to come up with a new religion that's going to save the whole world. Beast and a false prophet. But this wall thing is kind of interesting here as we get into it. Uh, one, built, one built up a wall. So now this is one person who built this wall. Who do we have in our nation today saying he's going to build a wall? And then he has a lot of people around him, politicians and so on, to say, no, you're not going to build a wall. But you just have one, basically, saying, I'm going to build a wall, and then you have some that support it. Okay? Now, we're still talking about Israel here, this nation, and this prophecy. Remember, it's going to go into famine, pestilence, the sword, and so on. So we're still talking about the same subject here. Let's understand this wall. So one built a wall, and lo, others daubed it with untempered mortars. So you can set up rocks or something, blocks if you will, and then you have to put mortar between them and glue them all together so that the wall can stand. Now, if you use poor mortar that doesn't stick, then that wall can be knocked down pretty easily. Okay? So he's talking about here a wall that is going to be built with ingredients that will not hold up. That's the point of this. Untempered mortar, stuff that just doesn't stick. Say to them, which daub it with untempered mortar, that it shall fall. You stand back and say, I'm telling you, you're not building that wall right, and it's not going to stand. Have you ever seen people doing something, and you can just stand there and watch and say, that isn't going to work. And then you watch when it doesn't. There shall be an overflowing shower. That's as a metaphor for rain. And great hailstones shall fall, and a stormy wind shall rend it. So here we have weather, violent weather, being used to depict one of the things that's going to drag down what is trying to be built. Now let's understand why... Do, does that man want to build a wall? The point of the wall on our southern border was to keep more people from coming in and diluting Israel. He doesn't understand it's Israel, but diluting the populace that is here and taking jobs away from the people that are here and all of the stuff that goes along with it. So this wall that Trump wants to build is symbolic of trying to protect this nation and keep it from falling to make it great again. It won't go away. It's going to become great again, he says. And I'm going to build this wall, and it's going to protect us so that we can become great again. Isn't this basically what he's saying? Okay? And God says, somebody's going to build a wall. Now, it may never get actually physically built. But the symbolism is certainly here, that I'm going to build this wall that's going to protect us and save us. 
And God says, you're not going to be protected and saved. I'm going to send great storms, great trouble. And if you're building a physical wall, then a, a great storm would knock it down. But it's hard not to, at least in the back of your mind, think of some hurricanes that have been hitting pretty hard and knocking a lot of stuff down lately and weakening our nation, right? So that it can't stand. Puerto Rico doesn't stand today. It's devastated. It's about to happen to this country. Lo, when the wall is fallen, shall it not be said to you, Where is the daubing wherewith you have daubed it? Why did your wall blow down? What, what, what did mortar? What did you use? What kind of stickum did you put between the, the blocks? Therefore, thus says the eternal God, he, he mentions it again, I will even rend it with a stormy wind in my fury. And there shall be an overflowing shower. Overflowing means floods. A rain that is so great it creates floods. In my anger and great hailstones in my fury to consume it. The book of Revelation talks about 120-pound hailstones. This, this is going to be quite a storm. So will I break down the wall that you've daubed with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that the foundation thereof shall be discovered or seen, made obvious, and it shall fall, and you, you, not just the wall, you shall be consumed in the midst thereof, and you shall know that I am the Eternal. So whatever you erect, whatever you devise to try to save the nation at this point will not work whether it be a wall, and I think it's interesting that God used that because he knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. Pena would have a great wall thing going on here in this nation right now. And that puts it the timing right now, doesn't it, also, if this fits, and I think it does. Whatever measures you take to try to save yourselves, will not work, and you will be consumed in the midst thereof. Now, here locally even, we may have another more minor, in a way, fulfillment of that, because we have those who became fearful that because of me and circumstances and so on, they wouldn't get to stay on their land. And their lease, uh, I would do something that would get it out from under them, and, and so they needed more security. So they decided they'd try to take over the land, as we read yesterday. Remember that? Get you far from the eternal, or you're far from the eternal, or go away from here. Unto us this land is given in possession. So we have people here whose last offer to me was, we'll give you $100,000 and you've got 30 days to get out of here and give us all the land. That was their last offer they made. Formal offer, through the lawyers. I told them it was ridiculous, and so did our lawyer, and then we settled with something. But now, they feel secure because they have a TIC in place, which gives one deed to all. They don't each get a deed. Nobody gets a deed. It's one deed that is over all 34 of the lots. And they can't sell unless they get a 67% uh, uh, vote. 
majority of 67%. That's why they're running around politicking, trying to get people to see it their way so that they can get that vote and sell this land. That's what they want to do. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them do. And they are the main ones who are politicking to get somebody's votes so that they can sell out. So even though they think they are more secure, there are, are those among them who are telling lies and telling them they're going to get a deed, and they're not. And you know what they want? They propose to name it now instead of Anatoth? Liberty. Because it's on Liberty Lane. Now that's said, I'm sure, tongue-in-cheek. Because it means liberty from Daryl. We now have our freedom. We now have liberty. We the people can rule in our little democracy. And God hates democracy. Everything that they are doing, God is against. And he is going to blow it down because it's being built with untempered mortar. It will not last. Already, they have factions among themselves, and their house, which is divided, cannot stand. And it won't. So, again, it applies to the church, and it applies to the nation. All the way through, these things all apply the same way. Going to have liberty and peace. Now that we got rid of Daryl. Well, they're not going to get rid of Daryl. If God wants to get rid of me, God can do it in a split second. But they can't. No matter how hard they try, unless God agrees with it. Of course, they believe that God is on their side. But they're telling lies. They're defrauding. They're stealing. And God isn't on that side. He said he, the people that do that won't be in the kingdom of God. You ever read that there at the end of the book of Revelation? Seems like it's still there. Nobody's cut it out yet. I will accomplish my wrath upon the wall and upon them that have dabbed it with untempered mortar and will say to you, the wall is no more, neither they that daubed it. Now, there are quite a few scriptures that show how God is going to get rid of the rebels right here and in the nation as well. To wit the prophets of Israel, which prophesy concerning Jerusalem, and which see visions of peace for her, and there is no peace, says the Eternal of God. We've come to the point, peace is over with. It's all done now. It's going to be war from here on out. It's going to be destruction and trouble. Likewise, you son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people, which prophesy out of their own heart, and prophesy you against them. So, uh, daughters or women are depicted by churches in the Bible, and this has to do some, I think, with churches uh, on a national level. And it might also have to do uh, some with women on a smaller level, such as we just described right here. Because women are somewhat prominent in this movement of rebellion. And say, thus says the eternal God, verse 18, Woe to the women that sew pillows to all armholes and make purchase upon the head of every stature to uh, hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and will you save the people alive that come to you? Now, what this sewing the pillows and all, 
uh, let's see, it, it, it even says a little bit more about that, I think, or is that, yeah, it talks about the, I'm against your pillows and so on a little further down. But what it, what it's saying is that on the sleeves, they'll sew pillows so that you can put your arms down and not hurt. Foam mattresses for everybody. Everything's going to be fine. We'll have peace. We'll have safety. No pain, no hurt. Everything will be fine. Now, that's what the Protestant preachers are saying again. Just say you love Jesus, and that's all there is to it. Religion, Christianity is so easy. Just say, I love Jesus. That's all you need to do. Some of them are that simplistic. And then you have those in the church saying, let's put pillows under your arms. Have a little pillow under your neck. Everything's going to be fine. That's what this imagery is about, is peace, safety, and happiness. And God has just said, there's no more peace. It's over with. So make, sit on all the pillows you want to. It isn't going to help. Woe to those that sew pillows and uh, make <coughs> these things. Verse 19, And will you pollute me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread to slay the souls that should not die? In other words, a false message, a false scene, a false uh, vision is being made, and they're trying to get people to believe this, to seduce them. That's what nearly every preacher in the splendid churches of God are trying to do. If you'll just come here, everything will be fine. We're Philadelphia, and everything will be fine. We're printing lots of magazines, and we've got lots of broadcasts, and, and God is working through us in a powerful way, which he's not. But everything will be fine. No, it won't, God says. You can make all the pillows and all the things to prop your arms on and your back on, but it's not going to be peaceful. And people are going to die as a result of the wrong thing being preached and taught to them. And you're going to try to save a souls alive that should not live by telling them, hey, they're not telling them you ought to repent and change and grow. They're not going to live. They shouldn't live. But they're telling them they're going to if they'll just come and sit with me. By your lying to my people that hear your lies. So it's church ministers and worldly ministers both that are giving a false vision. That's why God says all the tables are full of vomit there in Malachi 1 or 2. Wherefore, thus says the eternal God, Behold, I am against your pillows, your softness, your words of peace, wherewith you there hunt the souls to make them fly. You just listen to me, man, you're going to fly. Everything's going to be fine. You'll fly to Petra, you'll fly away into heaven. And I will tear them from your arms and will let the souls go, even the souls that you hunt, to make them fly. Because I am the wind beneath your wings, they'll say. No. Wrong message, sorry. Your kerchiefs also will I tear and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand to be hunted. They're proselyting, hunted, trying to catch them, trying to teach, trying to get them to follow them. And you shall know that I am the Eternal. Because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. 
They've made us sad, haven't they? Haven't they made this congregation sad by the lies and the fraud to try to take over this place? Yeah. God hasn't made our, us sad. He's told us all these things He's going to do for us if we'll obey and serve Him and how we'll be protected out of all this. No, it's these lies that create sadness. And they've strengthened the hands of the wicked. Oh, you people who are lying and, and filing papers that say, I have a uh, deed to purchase or a purchase option, you're going to be fine. Just follow me. You'll get your land. They're liars. They're liars. If all of us stick together, we have enough votes to keep them from doing anything they try to do. But they're strengthening the hands of the other liars to think that they can do something they can't do. That he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. So worldly preachers, people everywhere, have a distorted view and saying, oh, everything will be okay. If you just do what we say, everything will be okay. Not true. Therefore, you shall see no more vanity in divine divinations, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Eternal. So what God is going to do is He's going to deliver those of us who are faithful here from those who are rebelling. He is going to deliver 10% of the church from these splinter groups who are telling them everything's going to be okay and lying to them. And the faithful ones, he is going to stir to come and build the temple. And then when all of this is over, and most of physical Israel has died by the end of the day of the Lord and the seven last plagues, he's going to come and again deliver his people, Israel, to build a millennium. So there's several different levels or times in which he is going to do what he's saying to deliver people from those who are lying to them and giving them a false message. Let's read it for what it says. Let's read it in a way that depicts true repentance. The only way God will save America, the only way America can be made great again, is if we have absolute, total, national repentance of all false ways, the lying, the thieving, the stealing, the fraud, the adultery, the fornication, the murder, on and on it goes. Abortion, queers, the whole bit. If we would as a nation repent of all that, God would deliver us. But he's already told us in Jeremiah and other places, we will not do it. We're a stubborn, rebellious people. And even though you go butt naked and you lay on your side and you dig a hole in the wall, they're not going to listen. They won't listen to anything. Now, you're here hearing the true message. You can do something about it. So, the, he who has ears to hear and eyes to see, let him see. Because this nation is not going ever again to be blessed by God until it is utterly destroyed and repentance comes and people will be willing to listen to Christ when he's on the earth.
It's not going to be solved till then. There is no peace from today forward, let's say. There will be no more peace until Christ has put down every power and made every knee bow before Him. Then there will be peace. But until then, you're going to see nothing but increasing war and earthquakes and hurricanes and famine and pestilence and disease and people going into captivity with bare butts, their hands on their heads, digging through a wall, blind-sided, blindfolded, because they don't have a clue what is going on. And it's going to hit them like a freight train, and they won't understand. And our leaders will die in a foreign land, blindfolded, blindsided to what has just happened to the land of the free and the home of the brave. That term also is worthless anymore and will not be spoken again. 